There are only 22 shopping days until Christmas. I know you really wanted to hear that this morning since you're in church. Christmas is coming. You can see it all around you. You see the decorations, which Lisa and her crew did an incredible job of putting up. We thank you for them. But so what? What does Christmas mean? What is Christmas all about? We know that Christmas is not really just about Santa Claus and shopping malls or Christmas trees and decorations. It's not just a day off from work or a week between Christmas and New Year's. It's not just about snow or holly and mistletoe and Hallmark Christmas movies, eggnog lattes, and turkey dinners. Christmas is a lot more than just family get-togethers and singing carols or attending special concerts and exchanging gifts. It's even not just the last-minute shopping that we see, as my brother said when he was five, the last-minute wash, wash, wash. Most of us believe Christmas is a celebration of an event about Joseph and Mary, the, the birth of Jesus in a, in a stable or a cave, placed in a manger, angels singing to shepherds. Christmas being about the adoration of Jesus by the shepherds, the worship and gifts given to Jesus by the wise men, and about people spreading the good news that a savior had come to Israel. The Messiah was born. There were some important events leading up to that extraordinary night event. And when we understand the context, we discover some deeper understandings of what Christmas is really about. This season, Pastor Damien and I will be preaching a, a four-part series entitled, Release the Sounds of Joy, the Songs of Christmas. Release the Sounds of Joy, the Songs of Christmas. See, in the Gospel of Luke, we find four songs. The, the songs were really prophecies and, and worship about Jesus the Messiah. There was Mary's song, which was before the event. There was Zachariah's song, which was before the event. There was the angel's song, which was at the event. And then there was Simeon's song, a prophetic celebration after the event. Four songs, four songs that we're going to delve into and see if we can expand our understanding about the context of what Christmas is all about. Today, what Christmas is all about, we're gonna look at Mary's song, Mary's song. I'd like you to turn with me to Luke. Luke, the first chapter, it's on page 831 in the, in the Bible in front of you. Luke, eight, Luke 1, starting with verse 46 through 56. Mary had just been to visit Elizabeth and she bursts out into a prophetic song, and she says this, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the, the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Mary had just been informed by an angel from God that she was to become the, the, the mother of the Messiah. 
the Son of God. That's not an exactly an everyday occurrence, especially she ex experienced this pregnancy by virtue of the Holy Spirit coming on her in power. It's called the Immaculate Conception by some, but she's pregnant by God, but who can she tell? Her parents were gonna be upset. Joseph would be devastated, and was. She couldn't go on Facebook and post the happy announcement, but Mary had a friend, she had a confidant, named Elizabeth, and that's where Mary went. When she was there, she spoke this prophecy or this song or sang the song. Mary's words, a prophecy about her child, would eventually become a song called the Magnificat. Almost the entire song is made up of quotations from the Old Testament. And in light of Christmas, the coming of the Messiah, we see deeper meaning and context in these words. And they help us understand what Christmas is all about. Before the advent, we're gonna start by the fact that Christmas is about being thankful. It's about being thankful, number one. Thanksgiving just pours out of Mary's mouth and soul. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Thankfulness expressed for what God has done for her. It's, it's a past tense. But in the same way, Mary is thankful in the face of the unknown. She doesn't know what she's facing. She had no idea what the future held. But she's thankful not only for the past, but she thanks God in advance for the future. Is being thankful part of Christmas? Absolutely, absolutely. I believe it's appropriate that our national holiday of Thanksgiving precedes and is so close before Christmas, perhaps to prepare our hearts for Christmas and so we have an appropriate response to God. Thanksgiving is an attitude, it's a lifestyle, it's, it's, it's an approach to life, approach to God. A lifestyle of thankfulness, a, a lifestyle of, of gratitude. One person in my life that was the epitome of thankfulness was an elderly woman named Gertie. Gertie. Gertie was my grandmother's cousin. She was a lot like a great aunt to me. Gertie lived in a Christian community in Minneapolis called Bethany Christian Fellowship. Some of you may be aware of that, that community. She had never been married. She never had children. And earlier in her life, she and her sister had taken in literally dozens of orphaned children to take care of while they waited to be adopted by families. And while they were with her, she wrote special poems about each child in her care, which she would read to us when she came to visit. Gertie now lived all alone. All of her possessions could fit in, in her one room. Some might say that life just passed Gertie by. Well, we were living in southern Minnesota, and since our grandparents lived in Bellingham, Washington, Gertie became our surrogate grandmother for Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays. One of the most amazing things about Gertie that I will never, ever forget was her thankfulness. Her thankfulness. She was thankful for everything. She had practically nothing, but was grateful for every bit of it. Gertie stood in stark contrast of thankfulness in the commercial selfishness of the Christmas season. Do you have a Gertie in your life? 
Do you carry that attitude of thankfulness? What is Christmas all about? It's about being thankful, thanksgiving. Being thankful to God for who he is and what he's done, and connected to thankfulness, of course, flows something, some things that just are natural outflows of thankfulness. The results, Gertie expressed these, and Mary expressed these. The first of these kind of results that comes out of thankfulness, the first one is joy, with joy. My spirit rejoices in God, Mary said. Out of thankfulness springs joy. Why is there so little joy in our world today? Why is there so little joy? I believe it's because there's so little thankfulness. We are owed everything. We take everything for granted. I'm owed a living, I'm owed a job, I'm owed happiness, and by the way, I'm the victim here, okay? We, we just feel like we're owed. And then we wonder why we're so miserable. And, and Christmas especially is a time where joy seems to be in short supply. I, I used to bike for exercise year-round in Washington. I don't do that here for obvious reasons as the weather shows today. But I, one afternoon, it was near Christmas, it was about three days before Christmas, and I was trying to get across Alderwood Mall Parkway so I could get to the biking trails on the other side. And the one thing I noticed, of course, a lot of traffic and a lot of people coming and going. The traffic was heavy, people were honking at each other, irritability was just in the air. Welcome to Christmas. It's just no matter where you go. You go to the mall and people are, are stalking you as you're going to your car because they want to find your parking space and they follow you. And, and you, know, you know what it's like. Christmas in the air. Where's the joy? Where's the joy? Joy comes from thankfulness. Thankfulness. One of the most incredible experiences Judy and I had about joy had to do with a high school graduation. We attended the high school graduations of one of Seattle's alternative schools. These were students who had to overcome great obstacles and adversity just to get their high school diploma. High school graduation, which is something most of us take for granted. These families took nothing for granted. And talk about Thanksgiving, talk about joy and exuberance. That graduation ceremony was the wildest, most thankful, noisiest, most joy-filled graduation ceremony I've ever been to. It was cacophony, and it was hilarious, and it was full of joy, produced by thanksgiving. They were thankful. Are you thankful? Do you have joy? Also connected to thanksgiving is humility with humility. Humility and thankfulness kind of go hand in hand. Thankfulness acknowledges my blessings come from outside of myself, that my dependence is on someone else. For Mary, she was humbled, therefore thankful that God had favored her, even though she was just an ordinary teenager, she was a fiance of a carpenter. She realized her specialness did not come from her abilities, her economic status, or her physical beauty, or her ability to earn favor. Her specialness came from God. And when she realized it came from outside herself, she approached that with humility and humbleness. See, our specialness and our value doesn't come from what we do. Sometimes, depending on our growing up places and what we accomplish in life and where we were in school and family and sports and whatever, we think that it's all about what we do. And that's, that's what brings us value. But 
totally apart from all what we do, God has placed special value on you. We should not deny our unique gifts or strengths or our abilities, but acknowledge them as gifts from God. Interesting verse in Romans 12, three through five, three verses says this, for by the grace given me to say to every one of you, for by the grace given to me to say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. What is that saying? Say, saying don't think high, too highly, but acknowledge what value God has placed in each and every one of us. The fact that every one of us has a function and important part in the body of Christ. That is humility. Humility is not denying our worth or value, devaluing giftings. It's, it's valuing them. It's honestly assessing who we are and what we can do and acknowledging that God gave those gifts to each one of us. And Mary, in spite of the fact that she was a nobody, a teenager, admitted that. And she said, in humility, I'm going to thank God with humility. Third, connected to thankfulness, is with blessing. Blessing. Verse 48 says, For from now on all generations will call me blessed. The message says, I am the most fortunate woman on earth. Wow. It was not going to be easy to be Mary. Pregnancy out of wedlock, giving birth in a stable or cave or whatever it ended up being. I'm sure her plan for her life would have been far different. A nice wedding, two kids, a couple goats, and a, and, and a couple donkeys in the garage or the stable. You know, that's kind of the, the, the American dream, the, the Jewish dream, whatever that was. I'm sure that she had this idea of her life. Instead, she was going to suffer the pain of watching her son be rejected, suffer abuse, and actually be put to death. Mary's blessing was God's special design for her that she was going to be the mother of God's only son. What an incredible blessing. And she was thankful for God's special plan. Now if we could choose to write our own story, it might be far different, but remembering that God is the author and he's the one that gives us his blessing and his plans. Thankfulness says, I see God's hand in my life and circumstances. God has a plan, I will trust God and I will thank him for his blessings. Thankfulness with blessing. Philippians 4, 4, through 4 and 6 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. What is Christmas all about? First, it's about being thankful. Next, Christmas is about praising God. Praising God. Mary praises God. She begins to extol the person of God. Is Christmas about praise? Yeah. It was through this coming historical event that God becoming one of us that we can learn to know God so that we can praise him. So we can praise him. How do we praise someone we don't know? You can praise God for all this creation and some of those things, but God had a plan so that we could actually know this person and praise him personally. 
Joan Osborne wrote a song played on top 40 radio stations all over the country. It was entitled, What If God Were One of Us? What if God were one of us? And the song elicited such responses that people hearing it on their radios pulled to the side of the road and wept at the concept that what if God were one of us? And they were asking the question. See, there's such a deep longing for a God who knows and, and who understands, someone who cares about us. What if God were one of us? And can I know him? People's heart cry to know this God. All of us to know God and that he cares. God was one of us. He became one of us so we could know him. John 1.14 in the message says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, from, true from start to finish. A God who came down to be one of us. I can praise a God like that because I can know a God like that. Personally, that's what God is like. What do we praise God for? What do we praise God for? First of all, for his power, letter A. He has performed mighty deeds, mighty deeds. Have you ever felt powerless? Life is out of control? A lot of times, there are a lot of things that are not in our control, outside our power. He lacked the power to control your circumstances or, or your job or your future or your kids, whether they're teenagers or two-year-olds. There's one comedian that wrote this about kids and parenting. He said, whenever your kids are out of control, you can take comfort from the thought that even God's omnipotence did not extend to his kids. After creating heaven and earth, God created Adam and Eve. The first thing he said to them was, don't. Don't what? Adam replied. Don't eat the forbidden fruit. Forbidden fruit? Really? Where is it? <clears throat> it's over there, said God, wondering, wondering if he hadn't, he shouldn't have stopped when he made elephants. A few minutes later, God saw the kids having an apple break, and he was angry. Didn't I tell you not to eat that fruit? The first parent asked. Uh-huh, Adam replied. Then why did you do it? I don't know, Adam replied. God's punishment was that Adam and Eve should have children of their own. <laughs> Thus the pattern was set and it never changed. But there's reassurance in this story. If you have persistently and lovingly tried to give them wisdom and they haven't taken it, don't be hard on yourself. If God had trouble handling children, what makes you think it would be a piece of cake for you? <laughs> Powerless. And maybe it's, maybe it's finances or your health or, or your spouse's health or your, whatever it is. We are powerless. Christmas is all about power, God's power. God's power exercised on our behalf. We are all broken people. I talked last Sunday about, you know, you look at other, other people's families and you marry into another family and you think, boy, they're, they're dysfunctional. And they say, no, you're dysfunctional. You know, it's one of those things. We are all dysfunctional. We all have brokenness in our families, in our life. We all have that. And we're powerless to change many of those things. And we need power to cope, power to change, power to love, power sometimes to just wait. See, God's transformative person takes up residence in us, changes our nature, and works supernaturally in us, through us. And 
gives us power and changes us. God has done great things for me. So Mary praised God for his power. He, she also praised God for his holiness. Verse 49, holy is his name. Now, what does the word holiness mean to you? What does the word holiness mean to you? You get all kinds of pictures. There's one, one story in Christianity today about a young boy, John, who grew up unchurched, had no basic experience with church. But on his street, there were two churches. There was a Catholic church and a Baptist church on his street. And the Catholic church had rules that if you weren't part of their faith, you were not allowed past the vestibule into the holy places of the church. The Baptist church had no rules, and you could go virtually anywhere regardless of who you were. And John grew up thinking that one was holy and the other one was not holy. But he later realized that the holiness of God was not about places on earth, about sacred altars and sanctuaries. Holiness was about a relationship with a person, the person of God. And even though God is perfect and we're not, he's way up there, separate from his creation. He's divine, we're human. In the Old Testament, there was a separation, but when Jesus came, he bridged that gap so that we could relate directly. And we also could be holy because he's transformed us. Holiness is about moral excellence or moral perfection, but it's more than external acts. It's about internal heart change and internal attitudes. When we praise God for his holiness, we begin to understand how incredible it is that he has chosen to relate to us. He's chosen to love us, to imprint his character of holiness in us as we are changed by his indwelling person, becoming like Jesus. We praise God for his holiness. And we see that change in each and every one of us as we become more and more like Jesus. Mary also praised God for his mercy. His mercy. It says his mercy extends to those who fear him. Grace and mercy are two different words that we look at. Grace is receiving what I don't deserve. Grace, receiving what I don't deserve it, I receive it. Mercy is not receiving what I do deserve. Mercy, not receiving what I do deserve. Let me show you. Let me, let's say this. You have employees and you pay your employee a nice big Christmas bonus. He didn't earn it, didn't deserve it. It was a free gift, you just gave him a Christmas bonus. That's grace. Mercy is different. Mercy is this, you really messed up in your job, you deserve to get fired. Instead, your boss forgave you and let you keep your job. That's mercy. You didn't get what you deserved. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving what you do deserve. Does that make sense? Mercy. What do we deserve from God? All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Separation. So what does God give us? Why did Jesus come? He came because he had mercy. She sings about this mercy that God had, that we would not receive the punishment we deserved. Instead, we get forgiveness and new life. He offers us eternal life. It's, it's really a pretty good deal. Pretty good deal. Praise him for his mercy. So Christmas is all about being thankful. Christmas is about praising God. It's also, number three, about life change. Christmas is about life change. She talks about 
life change in, in these verses. And when I think about life change, I think about revolution. What she's describing in these verses, bringing down rulers from the thrones and all of the kinds of things, scattering the proud, you know, the, the, the proud, talking about revolution. And revolution can be peaceful. If those of you that remember the revolution in Romania's overthrow of Ceausescu, it can also be a violent revolution like the French Revolution or even the Revolutionary War in America. The word tenses that Mary is using describing these revolutionary changes imply the changes that are gonna happen in the future. Happened in the past, but these are prophetic. Christmas means revolution. It means life change. And there are three, in this passage, there are three revolutions of God. Three revolutions of God. First of all is the moral revolution. The moral, verse 51 says, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost hearts. When humans are prideful and independent, they set up their own system of morality. The results, immorality. The proud exalt themselves and take no account of God. The results, a godless culture, a secular culture that has no moral compass. Truth, right and wrong become my opinion, my truth, my right and my wrong. People who believe in God are viewed with contempt or as ignorant idiots. And we see that happen in a battle today, a battle over truth. If you look at the history of Europe, it's followed this path and is largely secular today. And America, pursuing a similar path in its attempt to remove God from the public square, trying to remove God from the public square. And when it comes to, when it comes to moral issues, what happens is, People label moral issues, which are right and wrong, and they say, that's political. Oh, it's political, then the church can't have anything to do with it. We're gonna stay away from it. No, it's moral. Those are moral issues. That's the way to, to neuter the church's power to say, no, we're gonna get involved in moral issues. You can make it about politics and anything else. It's really about moral issues. And when we take God out of the public square and try to remove him, we need a moral revolution. And we see where that's brought this country today. A moral revolution. Jesus brought a moral revolution. Make no mistake, in our world of greed, immorality, easy divorce, addiction, sexual perversion, same-sex marriage, gender fluidity, Christmas, the coming of Jesus, is about a moral revolution. Life change. The second revolution is a social revolution. He brought down rulers from their thrones. God in human form entered the human race as a baby, born in a cave. His parents were a carpenter and a homemaker. He lived in Nazareth, which is a backwater town like Oliva. Okay, just out there somewhere. I, I don't mean to insult you if you're from Oliva, but yeah, it's just a small town out there. Not famous, not well known. Nazareth was, was just kind of this backwater town. And Jesus served, he lived and died. Jesus totally reversed the reality of greatness by serving, by serving. History is filled with people of faith who through humility, sacrifice, and service, even martyrdom brought social revolution. The Christmas story, the person of Jesus has come and the social revolution has followed. The story, the story and person has produced many things throughout our history. It produced the end of slavery in America. The Wesleyan Church denomination is the only church 
that came out as a direct result of the slavery battle in the 1860s. I don't know if you knew that. They were, that Wesleyan, Wesleyan churches and pastors were involved in the, in the underground and they were castigated as unpatriotic and all kinds of things. And, but the Wesleyan church was birthed. It's a social revolution. That's our heritage. The social revolution. The civil rights movement came out of the church. People who believed in Jesus Christ and said, no, all men and women are created equal. The social revolutions in Eastern Europe, in, in Poland, Romania, the Philippines, Wales during the Welsh Revival, freedom and the end of apartheid in South Africa. You don't hear much about the story of the end of apartheid in South Africa. We have a very good friend that was on staff, was the executive pastor, of one of the largest churches in South Africa during that movement, and he and the pastor and Christians in that part of South Africa had an incredible role to play in the ending of apartheid and keeping it from becoming a, an incredible bloodshed i mean it was amazing the story you can't and and they lived in fear of their life being taken i mean it was it's an amazing story but it was part of the social revolution because jesus came at christmas social revolution the third revolution is an economic revolution. Verse 53, it says, he has filled the hungry with good things but sent the rich away empty. Christian values say, gain whatever you can so that you can give it away. <laughs> and that don't accumulate, don't hang on, yeah, give all, get all I can so that I can give it away. In the ancient world, it was accepted that the rich would be well cared for and the poor must be, expect to be hungry and in need. Mary sings of a God that is not bound by what our culture does or says. God turns everything upside down. Life change, moral revolution, social revolution, economic revolution. And finally, we find in this, this song, Mary's song, that Christmas is about God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. 54 Verse 54 and 55, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he has said to his, her, our fathers. God is engaged in making promises and fulfilling promises. Everything Mary has sung about is the outcome of the fact that God is true to his promises. He is faithful. God always, always comes through. He comes through. Christmas may not be a time of joy for you right now. You might be facing Christmas with fear and dread. For some, Christmas comes as a pylon of just more financial stress, more relationship issues, memories that are not positive, Christmas times past that didn't measure up to expectations. You can't imagine how Christmas can make a positive difference in your life. Well, Christmas can't, but Jesus can. What is Christmas about? It's about being thankful. It's about praising God. It's about life change. It's about God's faithfulness. It's about Jesus. All the other things are peripheral. John 1, 10 to 12 says, he was in the world, Jesus, 
And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus. Our prayer, our prayer today as we move into Christmas is that all the other things fade as we focus on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you chose an ordinary teenager to be your, your son's mother. And Father, I just pray that as she focused on you, that we too would be able to focus on you. Father, we desperately need to turn our eyes away from all the things that hold our attention. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that, that this would be our prayer today, to turn our eyes on Jesus. Jesus.